Hello and welcome to Superfancast. My name is Chris. I'm joined by Matt, and this is season one, episode five, Eurythmics. Yeah, this was my choice. I thought we needed uh, some strong female characters in our artists and bands that we chose, and I thought who better than Annie Lennox? And then that's not to, to put down Dave Stewart, obviously, uh, <laughs> but you know she's she's a legend. I always yeah. want to say the Eurythmics, but there's no the. Is it? It's not. They're, they're waiting to get sued by an American jazz label, aren't they? Yeah, that's true, yeah. I saw them mention that in in an interview, and he got very cross when someone called them the Eurythmics. Oh. It's not the, it's it's just Eurythmics. <laughs> Whoa. Bless her. Um, yeah. It's been ages since we, since we recorded last, and apparently ages since I um, started working on the notes for this episode, because we started working on this probably a month ago. Yeah. And so yeah. I've got some notes here about your obsession with Billy Corgan, but you've moved you've moved on from that now, haven't you? Uh, I've, I've forgotten Billy Corgan. <laughs> you were going down a bit of a Billy Corgan rabbit hole. You were sending me lots of lots of gifts of um, of Billy Corgan at different theme parks on Family Guy. <laughs> well, there's if you yeah if if you look on YouTube, you'll find videos involving Billy Corgan on a roller coaster, and it might not actually be him. It's just it's just sound bites of him. But I did see a real picture of him on a roller coaster that yeah, went viral where he looks really sad, miserable. Yeah. Sad Billy Corgan at Disneyland, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Did you know, know he's the owner of the of the National Wrestling Alliance now? I had no idea. That's very strange. Fact. Yeah, he's he's owner and president of the NWA. And that, that threw me off because there's only one NWA I know about and it's not the National Wrestling Alliance. I do feel yeah. that they're, they're clinging on to... But I hope they're... I mean, they should have given up on NWA, shouldn't they? I think the other NWA is a lot bigger and they probably yes. could have changed their name. Or, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. He also goes by William these days, I think. I don't think he goes by Billy anymore. William Corbin. Corgan. Yeah. Well, his, his Twitter is William Patrick Corgan. Oh, um, wow. And when you Google him, I think his Wikipedia refers to him as William Corgan rather than Billy Corgan. So I think he's made an effort to be a William. Okay. Anyway, I don't want to steal all the good Smashing Pumpkins content in case... <laughs> <laughs> in case we do an episode <laughs> exactly what have you been listening to over the last few weeks probably lots um, so uh, if if any of you listened to my Prince episode you'll you'll have heard that I started listening to Buckethead mm. it's, uh, it's become a project to get through all of his music uh, he's got something like 120 odd studio albums and I thought I'm, I need to get through all these because I really like him and I'm still listening, to, obviously. Uh, and it's great. It's a great journey of discovery. That's a lot of, uh, a lot of albums to get through. He's got albums about, like, fried chicken and HP Lovecraft and haunted houses and pumpkins. <clears throat> Very eclectic selection of interest. Mm. Although some of his albums have only have got many, many songs that are about 30 seconds long, which That's is what a nightmare when you're... Yeah. That's it's it's a nightmare when you're listening to them on Spotify, free Spotify, because there's just adverts all the time. Oh, um, right. I'm a cheapskate. Uh, but yeah, that's really fun. Also, I've been getting into a band. It's a covers band, but they do have their own shows and their own albums. They're called Brass Against. That's B-R-A-S-S, Against. So they play, they play covers of heavy rock well, they they play things like Tool, Deftones, Rage Against the Machine, lots of things like that. But with brass and 
and yeah they have a brass section they have really good trumpeters and uh trombones there's one guy who's got one of those tubers that wraps around your whole body (laughs) and they sound really tight and i I love horn parts I'm, i'm a big fan of really nicely arranged horn parts so they're great fun they've got lots of videos on youtube lots of live videos and the singer's really soulful and really um really punky at the same time they're they're great i love them what about you i have been listening to uh, what have i been listening to well i did uh i did that british hip-hop episode a few weeks back and that's reignited yeah. my my love of british hip-hop a little bit um, nice so I've been listening to a bit of Kalashnikov, who I didn't mention in that episode, actually, but I, then I remembered Kalashnikov, Kalashnikov. Um, you know, a week or two ago. And um, what, what's, what's Kalashnikov? Uh, he's just a rapper. He's just a British rapper. He was, part of, he was in, a, in a collective called Terra Firma, um, but oh. you know, I know him mostly for his, his solo stuff. Right, um, okay. and I, think it, I think, and I could be wrong, someone will correct me, but they won't because no one ever writes in. I think oh. in his early days he called himself Ricochet Kalashnikov. And then he dropped Ooh, the ricochet over the years. That's a that's a cool name. That's a cool name, Ricochet Klashnikov. I'd like to call a kid Ricochet. Yes, yeah, a good name for a kid, isn't it? And then <laughs> also on the, sure. on the <laughs> on on hip hop, I've also um, I've jumped on the hype train, unfortunately, and uh, I have listened Uh-oh. to Kanye West's Donda. Um, I felt that. I felt that I couldn't not listen to it. You know, there's been so much hype about this album and it's just, you know, every music um, publication for the last six months has been talking about Kanye West's Donda. And it's, it's kind of sad that the state that we're in now because, uh, it's not sad, it's just, you know, times are changing. But the fact is, he's created all this hype and, um, you know, you're expecting it to be something that it's probably not going to be. Invariably, it's not going to be that. I'm not a massive fan of Kanye West. But mm. because he's created all this hype, I'm going to listen to it. And of course, with Spotify, you know, every track that I listen to, he's getting he's getting money for that. Yeah. So he's he's really winning. Like, he can't lose. Even if everyone hates it, the whole world wants to hear it because they want to yeah. know that they're going to hate it. I mean, he's I don't know if he's really really smart or if he's really stupid. I can't, <laughs> I can't figure it out. But I mean, either way, he's he's done well. I mean. The, the album's awful, <laughs> but he's making a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the majority of reviews I've seen have kind of been on the fence. A lot of people are kind of saying it's not the best album ever made, but it's also not the worst. Personally, I can't. It's not for me. I, I found it pretty unlistenable, a lot of it. Um, mm. But, you know, I had to hear it um, just to have an opinion. So yeah. I did listen to that. And then what else have I been listening to? Meeting Places. I can't remember if I mentioned Meeting Places in the last episode. No. Um, Meeting Places are just a cool, uh, mellow, soft, echoey guitars. Um, I suppose, I don't, I'm trying to avoid using the words that I always use. So it's kind of a shoegaze band. But <laughs> I was going to say, is it shoegaze? <laughs> yeah. Do you like shoegaze, Chris? Yeah, I do. Yeah, it's kind of, it's my safe place. You know, I don't know what to listen to. It's my safe place. You like, you like staring at your shoes. Like, oh, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah, Meeting Places is cool. Um, I listened to a debut album called, I think it's called Find Yourself Along the Way from 2003. Mm. Um, it kind of makes you feel like you're on a beach in California and the sun's mm. just coming up and you're on your skateboard and it's already warm even though it's early morning and you've got your nice. headphones in. And yeah, it's just nice. Uh-huh. I really like the, vo- the, the, the guy singing. is really effortless, like tired, like almost like 
Oh, I'm singing here, but I could, I could be doing something else. I could go I like sleep. That. Yeah, it's really nice. I like it. Okay, I'm sold. Yeah. And then, oh, and also, another thing I listened to, I think I told you about this, but again, this was a few weeks back now because um, it's taken us a while to record this. I was listening to, not more than two or three times, but Caligula by Lingua Ignota. And, um, oh, yes, you sent me this. Yeah, yes. so this is that weird. That is weird. Weird. So, yeah, so Lingua Ignota, I, I, I follow this guy, um, some of you might, if you're fans of music, you might follow it anyway, is The Needle Drop on YouTube. This, this chap Tony who reviews albums that's all he does he just reviews albums and he did a review of Lingua Ignata's most recent album I can't mm. remember what it's called but he mentioned Caligula on there and I thought oh well I'll listen to I'll have a listen to that and it's incredibly strange yeah so I think she's American and she's um, you know, a real virtuoso from what I can tell you know she plays pretty much everything on, yeah. on her music she does the, all, a lot of the vocals I mean she gets a lot of guest vocalists in and um, anyway so, so Caligula is Quite a terrifying album, <laughs> I think. I was uh, thinking it's it's a soundtrack of having sleep paralysis. Oh yeah, that's that's a good way of looking at it. It is a bit yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a track on there. If I mean, very early on in the album, even you're only two tracks into the album, and she starts trying to invoke Satan, and it's just su- you, super dark and as you do, yeah, and scary. I mean, there's there's dark music out there in in its content. But I think that what Lingua Ignota has done is she's really created. It's even if the words she's saying were not that dark, the sounds mm. she creates and the yeah. mood that she creates is really quite terrifying. Like more yeah. than more than any kind of death metal or anything like that. Like her yeah. music is really really dark. Yeah, um, I've um, <laughs> I'm just reminded uh, when you talk about scary music. I uh, had it on in the car a couple of days ago. Uh, it's it's on one of the one of the Tool albums. There's a track which is terrifying. It's it's in nine eight time, which is a very uh, uncomfortable, un- unpleasant sounding. Yeah. It's an uncomfortable time signature, and it's it's horrible, streaky guitar, and the vocals are in this evil sounding German. It's like oh, you know, yeah. it sounds really satanic, evil. And if you look up the lyric translation, it's like a, a recipe for like egg custard or something. Oh, right. <laughs> they've lost a, they've lost a bit of their audience though, haven't they? Because it means that all the German fans are not going to be able to listen to it in the same way. <laughs> I think they just find it funny though. Okay. Maybe. Yeah, scary music. Um, it's got a place. It's got a place. And uh, I remember a few years back, um, it was on Halloween. I was in Australia and I was on Halloween and I was listening to the radio. I put on the radio and they they were playing, you know, Halloween music. You tend to, on Halloween, people will play a lot of Monster Mash and crap like that. Ghostbusters. But, but, and Ghostbusters. But this station was, was making an effort to play scary music. Mm. Um, and it was really, really good. It was such a good mm. soundtrack to the day. And I yeah. didn't know a lot of the tracks on there. A lot of it was just instrumental stuff. But it was sure. stuff that really created a... Uh, a real spooky mood, and yeah, I like yeah. that. I like any music oh. that can create a create a mood. Yeah, Alice Cooper's done some cool Halloweeny songs, I think. <laughs> Tongue in cheek Halloween songs, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. I like Alice Cooper. You know, he's a he's a DJ on um, on Planet Rock Radio now. I listen to him every week. Do you? Oh. Yeah, I love him. He's really funny. Yeah, he is good. I like Alice Cooper a lot. All right, good catch up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you listen to a lot of stuff. Oh yeah, also. Yeah, 
also on the subject of Kanye West from from before, I just remembered uh, on the news, didn't they say that he's changed his name to Ye? I think he's trying to do that. Yeah, I don't know if he's had it. I don't know what the process is for because he's trying to do it legally, right? He's not just oh, yeah. people can call me Ye now. I think he's making a, an application to, to change his name. Um, yeah, that was that was one of the the headlines on on the on the national news. Yeah, it's we've got strange. milkshake shortages and the <laughs> shortages of like pork scratchings, and then the third story was Kanye West is changing his name to Ye. Yeah. Thought this is just a, a strange day for news. <laughs> it's really odd. I mean, there's so much we could say about the album as well in this period that he's going through in his life, but. Um... Uh, you know, I'm sure most people have an opinion, but just like the, one of the things that drew me in, and I know this is this is real public knowledge now, and it's very much on on the in the the newspapers. But when I first discovered it, it wasn't was the fact that he had, um, you know, just to name a few, like Chris Brown and Marilyn Manson on his album. Oh uh, really? And the uh, baby, who's also been in the news a lot recently for making homophobic comments, like he, oh, it, yes. it's like he's almost made an effort to include controversial people. Yeah. Again, just yeah. to sell it and just to get people interested. Um, which yeah. uh, I don't know is is that what's is that what's come to the music industry now? We're we're just as long as he gets the hits on Spotify, that's what counts. It doesn't really matter the content. Mm. Yeah. It's a bit I guess he's a. You could say he's a master of. Uh, promotion, self, and that's it. And maybe that's what it is. And I'm, I'm still undecided as to whether he knows that's what he's doing. But yeah, you could definitely say that he's, he's nailed how to market an album. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Eurythmics were a British synth pop duo, uh, formed in 1980 by vocalist Annie Lennox and multi instrumentalist, songwriter, producer, etc., etc., Dave Stewart who had previously performed together in The Tourists. Mm. Their debut album was largely missed and didn't chart, but Stuart went on to set up a private studio for them to tackle a follow-up with more creative freedom. Their second album was then released in January 1983 and eventually rose to number three in the UK album charts. The title track was released as the fourth single off the album. Uh, It was the first single released in the US and it went straight to number one on the US Billboard charts. Eurythmics went on to release almost an album a year throughout the remainder of the 80s, reaching the top spot more than once on both sides of the Atlantic. In 1990, the duo decided to take a break. I've put 1990 here, but in my mind it's 1989, but I'll trust my notes. In 1990, they decided to take a break. It was 1990. Yeah, okay, to pursue personal projects, although a chart-topping Greatest Hits album was then released in 1991. 1998, Eurythmics reformed and a year later released their eighth studio album, uh, but this sadly didn't have the same impact as their earlier releases. They have since reunited a number of times, but both have said that they do not see any future Eurythmics projects on the cards. And that there is Eurythmics. All right. What's your story? Very busy busy people. Mm. Uh, So for me, Eurythmics are very nostalgic. I mean, I grew up listening to... Annie Lennox's solo stuff a lot, and then my dad loved Eurythmics, so he played a lot of a lot of their early albums, and their their sound is stuck in my brain. It's it's just there. It's got it's got memories for me, and uh, I I wanted to know a bit more about them because because they got their singles, but you don't really realize how well I didn't realize just how busy they were throughout the eighties, yeah. and their very humble beginnings 
and how quickly they they shot up into success mm. and the kind of variety of sounds that they did yeah they were definitely busy they were super busy weren't they just didn't yeah. stop yeah what, what about you i'm not really sure what my story is because uh they're, they're one of those bands that's very recognizable and so i can't think of a time in my life where i didn't know eurythmics mm-hmm. and that's not to say i was listening to them I, in fact quite the opposite they're not a band that i listened to um voluntarily but they are a band that have always been in the you know always been around and, and i've always known about them um and i think annie lennox is so recognizable you know, striking looks as well as her voice that yeah uh, there, there isn't a time in my life where i haven't known who she is i think they have a good few standout singles that um you know especially for me growing up in the 90s they mm. were no stranger to to the radio waves so i heard yeah. a lot of eurythmics it's not a genre necessarily, you know, that synth pop sound is not a genre that has interested me so much in the past, so I haven't listened to much of it, as I say, on my own free will. Um, <laughs> I will say that like the, you know, in the, the Verve episode, I talked about how in my mind I've kind of blurred the lines between Verve and Richard Ashcroft, and it's very much the same with Eurythmics and Annie Lennox. Right. I have yeah. a very similar confusion. And until doing this episode, uh, there are certainly some tracks... Um, which I probably thought were Annie Lennox. Didn't yeah. realise were Eurythmics. She's so recognisable and she has such a distinctive, powerful, impressive voice that to the casual pop fan who's not going to sort of do any research on it or look into it much, she is Eurythmics. Yeah. Um, and yeah. to many, to many sort of casual pop fans who don't really care about the music, it's not very clear what Dave is providing, which yeah. is incredibly insulting because I know he's providing a massive amount and he's a, an integral part. Uh, you know, he is you know, 50% or more of, of Eurythmics. So yeah, um, yeah. to not recognise him is, is sad. But I think, yeah, to the, to the casual pop fan who's just listening to their hits on the radio, they're hearing Annie Lennox and that's... Yeah, yeah and and I think a lot of these pop duos where one of them's the singer, one of them's the instrumentalist, hmm. often the instrumentalist is very quiet and reserved and in the background. Yeah. And doing very clever things, where whereas he he isn't really like that, is he? Well, from what I can see, he's got a lot of character and he's very outspoken, and he he will do a flashy guitar solo. Yeah, and... I suppose he plays it in a different in, a, in an interesting way because yeah, he does he does have something to say. Um, he does want to be recognised for for what he's doing, but at the same time, I mean, certainly looks wise, he he was happy in the background and happy for Annie Lennox's face to be the face of Eurythmics. Oh yeah, sure, um, sure. Yeah. But, but in the videos as well he's he is quite Well he's always he's present. Prominent. Yeah. And and especially when he's got massive amounts of wax in his hair and it's all sticking up like yeah. like a bush. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I didn't I didn't know a great deal by Eurythmics then. So um so yeah it's been a real journey from the beginning for me, discovering what their sound was and who they are musically. Yeah, it's been a, been a journey of discovery. Alrighty, let's get into uh, some quizzing then. Alrighty then. I'm going to ask five questions to help us discover a bit more about the band. We're then going to be asking those five questions to Zach from Maine to find out if he is a fan or a fraud. So we'll meet Zach a little bit later. First, we're going to ask these questions to Matt, who's going to get one point per correct answer. Five points... Matthew is a super fan of Eurythmics. Any less than five points, he is something else. And if it's zero points, he is a fraud. I hope they won't be doing as bad as last time, which was 
What did you do one last half night? out of five. What did you get for that? One and a half. Oh, did you? <laughs> well, it was really one, but I was I was trying to sneak half a half an answer in. Oh, bless. Okay, sorry. Well, hopefully this will be a bit better. Hopefully. <laughs> Question one. I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure Zach's probably got ten out of five. Ooh, you'll find out. So question one, who painted the cover art for Revenge? Oh, oh my goodness. I do, I do know this one. Um, oh, awesome Peter Ashworth. No, I'm afraid not. No, Peter Ashworth? Eric Scott. Eric Scott. It is Eric Scott. Yes. I think I'll give it to you because I think you immediately remembered. And it is a hard question. So well done, mate. It is Eric no, Scott. Pete- Peter Ashworth was a photographer on some of the other albums, so I got him mixed up. But yeah, Eric Scott, I looked this up because I know that you always do a do a question about album covers. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna have a bit to really, there, aren't I? and I always get them wrong, so I was like, I'm gonna have to look this up. And Eric Scott, I googled him, and actually, I recognised some of his other paintings. Oh, did you? What kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah. So he's, he's interesting, um, like caricatures of people. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't see any of his other stuff actually. I did have a Google around, but I couldn't find any of his other stuff. But you know, he had some friends in high places. So um, mm. Paul McCartney was a big fan of his and is a collector of his work. Um, yeah, and uh, good friends with Dave Stewart, obviously, and also <laughs> ex Prime Minister Harold Wilson was apparently a collector oh, of right. uh, Eric Scott's work. Um, the late Eric Scott. He's he's now passed away, unfortunately. Okay. Um, he was a visual artist from Sunderland, uh, focused on portraits. Did a bunch of recognisable portraits of famous people and also portraits of animals. Yeah, not I couldn't find a massive amount about him online. Uh, no. But, but the art for Revenge is, is fantastic. I don't know about you, but I didn't immediately notice it was a painting. No, I didn't think it was a painting at first. So for, for those who haven't seen it, it's, um, it's a painting of Annie Lennox on the left, looking face on at the camera, and um, Dave Stewart on the right. There are a couple of weird things about it. So the first thing is the eyes. Uh, so again, I didn't notice immediately. It took me a while to figure out that Annie's got cat's eyes, mm. um, which is interesting. And the other interesting thing is that Dave has got his eyes <laughs> because he rarely doesn't have sunglasses on. And Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, and I think this is the only... I could be wrong. I'm just trying to think off the top of my head now. I think it's the only Eurythmics album cover that shows Dave's, Dave with his eyes out. Yeah. Because up to that th- point, up to that point, people just thought he didn't have any eyes. Yeah. yeah I thought it was a like, cyborg. It was just, yeah. It was just like, <laughs> it was just like nothing there. Just skin. <laughs> oh, he's got eyes. What? <laughs> so yeah, I thought it was, it's an interesting cover. The other thing, so there is, I'm probably going on a bit of a rant on this bit. Um, are you ready for the first rant? <laughs> yeah bring it on <laughs> so my first rant is if you look at the original painting by eric scott it's much bigger yeah. than what is included on the cd oh on the, on I'm the just album gonna, cover i'm just gonna google it okay um so i can look at the whole thing yeah uh, would be that would be a bit easier to find oh i see it yes yeah is it yeah so it's a, it's a little bit bigger than than the than is included on the on the album cover it's and, probably twice as big yes yeah. and it's clear from the full-size painting that Annie Lennox is clothed, right? Yes. Now, I do not think it's a mistake that it has been cropped in a way that makes it look like she's topless. This is this is kind of like a, a, a thing about Eurythmics that has, gets to me a little bit in that there are so many Eurythmics and Annie Lennox album covers that show her either ambiguously clothed or naked. 
Yeah, that's true. That's and true. for for a, a woman who is quite outspoken about how she wants to be respected as a musician and doesn't want to be seen any differently to Dave because just because she's a woman, why do they focus on that so much? I, I don't get... I mean, this was a great example because Eric Scott's done a beautiful painting here. Why did they crop it so that it looks like she's she's not clothed when already they've released Sweet Dreams where, okay, it's a small image of her on Sweet Dreams, but she's not clothed. Mm. Um, Touch, where she's not clothed. In the garden, I can't... Uh, she's got clothes on in, in the garden, but yeah. it's not a very clear image. That's fine. Uh, I mean, there's several others. There's, there's a solo album of hers, and again, I forget the name, where she's literally naked. Medusa, was it? Oh, it Medusa? Um, Medusa. Well, Medusa, she hasn't got any clothes on the front, and also, uh, oh, what's the other one? It's um, Bear. So... Right, she's just got a collar on in that one. <laughs> so I just, yeah, I don't know. That winds me up a little bit. She she makes a big bit of a hoo ha sometimes about getting respected for who she is as a musician and how it was so important for her to be seen as equal to Dave. But Dave's not got his willy out all the time, has he? Uh, no, he doesn't. No. No, I, I no. That's that's true. But That'd be get, a very different career path, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I never really thought of it before because she does seem, as you say, like a very headstrong person who knows what she wants to do, mm. almost like she's self-made. And you wonder how much of it is is her, and how much of it is the label deciding things. Do you think? I, I, yeah, maybe. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know because cause obviously because like because cause her her having short hair and wearing men's clothes people say it's drag uh it's it, it caused so much controversy I've I've been I, I saw some interviews and and people were really offended by yeah, it Yeah yeah so they weren't you know in a way they were were they trying to be marketable or were they trying to be shocking or a bit of both I guess a bit like Kanye you know Mm. It's it's a it's a tricky one, but I never thought of that before. Yeah, she, yeah, I did think she was naked for on Revenge, and then I looked it up, and yeah, she's got she's got a low a low cut top on. Yeah, I don't think it's a coincidence. I think it's deliberate, and and I feel also if it was the label that was pressuring that, I think that we'd have heard about that in interviews with her because I think she's she's outspoken enough that she would have talked about that in in. That's interviews. true. Well, she has actually she has actually said about things that the label has decided which they didn't like. They have been open about that. Like for example, um, they released a a dance version of the Touch album, like EP of remixes, and Remix hated that. They didn't like that at all. And then there was this whole hoo ha about the nineteen eighty four soundtrack, which they didn't like either. Well, they didn't like. Will we be going it. into that later? No, we won't be. I don't know anything about that. Tell me about it. Oh, you don't. So there was the 1984 film that was released in 1984. Um, you know, based on the yep. greatest book of all time by yep. George Orwell. Yeah. So, so Virgin Films wanted them to do the soundtrack, but the director Michael Redford, he'd already had a orchestral score set up, and that is what he wanted for the film. Um, but the band was told by the label, oh, you need to do a do a soundtrack. So they released an album of music for the for the film. But then there was this there was this clash with the director 
because he didn't he never wanted that he never wanted their pop music over the top uh so there was two versions of the film made the the director um redford or radford he he complained of having eurythmics music music foisted onto him that's his words oh wow um and eurythmics said that if they knew that he felt like that they would never have done it in the first place oh interesting yeah i missed that i missed that story completely yeah it's a it's a really interesting album actually um it's a lot of it is instrumental and it's got quotes from the from the book and so from the film it's very obscure it's a bit like craft work meets old kind of soul music mm. and it's also the only so just a, on a different note <laughs> a 1984 fact it's the only album cover by Eurythmics that doesn't have Annie Lennox's I would say face, but I kind of have to say head because in peace she has a at the back of her head on it instead of her face. Naked body. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's the only one that didn't include her her face. Yeah. Well, there you go. Oh, good. One. Had, good um, story. I like that. It had Big Brother's face on the front instead. Yeah. The the whole the whole painting as well. I'm just looking at it. It's got a lot of interesting imagery on it. A lot of strange little iconography, and it's like a maze behind them. Mm. Yeah, just even the eyes. What well, I wonder what he meant with the eyes. I don't know. I think just he's a bit just, of fun. just a bit of a laugh, you know. Well, Eric, I like it. <laughs> it's quite pretty, though. It's quite nice. It is, yeah, it is. Quite a nice picture of her. And both of them, actually. All right, one, one out of one. Good work, Matt. Yeah, yeah that's it. the end. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> now you're doing really good. I think that's probably one of the hardest ones. So question two. Who played drums on five of the ten tracks on In the Garden? Oh God! This, yeah, this was uh, the was this the Blondie drummer? It was the Blondie drummer. He's got Clem, a name though, Clem Burke. Yeah, correct. Yes, yes, because uh, I remember, I remember reading this, thinking like, oh, why isn't this album more famous? Because it's Eurythmics, but also, they they had the producer of Kraftwerk on it. Did yeah, Connie Plank produced it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and the Blondie drummer, and I think he, he did he I think he played on some other. Eurythmix albums. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know exactly, but yeah, I do believe that he he's featured on some some later stuff as well. Um, yeah. So yeah, the, the this album in the garden it was recorded in Germany um, in Cologne. It was produced by Connie Plank, who lives in uh, lives in Cologne has has his own studio in Cologne. Um, and as you say, yeah, he'd been recording to that point lots of Kraftwerk, Ultravox, Brian Eno. Mm. Um, uh, so it was it was co-produced by Eurythmics. I imagine that means Dave Stewart had had a fair bit to say in the process, but definitely not enough to say. And I think that yeah. was part of how they then approached um, the follow up. You know, in, he wanted far more creative freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Dave plays loads on this record. Uh, you know, in some of the later albums, he's he moves away from some of the instruments, but on this album, he's he's credited for guitar, bass, mm-hmm. synth, keyboards, background vocals, and various instruments <laughs> various instruments yeah well what do you think of the album did you listen to it properly yeah i did listen to it um it was just not what i was expecting at all it was the first no. first album i listened to uh, on this journey because that's how i normally approach it i'll just go beginning to end so having gone from only knowing the radio hits by eurythmics to then listening to mm-hmm. in the garden i mean they're just yeah. different worlds aren't they um, yeah oh goodness it, me yeah yeah it's so it's, it's... kind of well it sounds anyway kind of freeform and experimental I mean I'm sure it wasn't I'm sure it was very well calculated but it's kind of got that sound to it it's yeah it's interesting ethereal in places it feels, and... 
It feels like you're tripping on something. That's it, yeah. Yeah. I quite like it. Yeah. It's, it's probably one of my favourite albums by them. Um, oh, right. Yeah. Oh. This, yeah not, what, not what I'm expecting. I wasn't keen on it. No? But maybe, I need, maybe I need a few more lessons. It's um, not... You know, when, when I refer to Eurythmics as a synth-pop duo, this album is not that. No. And so if you like that sound, if you like you're looking for that synth pop sound you're not getting it from in the garden would you say it's a bit shoegaze <laughs> everything's got a bit shoegaze no it's not but it's um it's definitely more um it's a bit more psychedelic and a bit more um of its time i think yeah it's like a good word yeah and then and then after that the direction they went it's 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 miles apart it is yeah it is they over the years they became and, and a lot of a lot of bands do and it's just natural they just became far more, just more and more polished with every album until um, yeah to create that radio friendly pop sound in the garden is not a radio friendly sound it's not going to get no, yeah. it's not going to get radio plays unfortunately no um, and they probably should have seen that if they were looking for that but uh, yeah and, and sadly because of that it just didn't it didn't chart it didn't do anything other interesting stuff about in the garden though. Uh, so there's a, there's a track on there, Revenge, and Krista Fast, who is the wife of Connie Plank, she's credited on there for laughing on that track. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Do they bring her in especially for that, do you think? Or just told her a joke and recorded <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, I think she just came in to drop the tea off and she laughed at something. <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, she's got a credit for that. Um, and then the, the other drummer on... Do you know who else drummed on this album? Remind me. The drummer for Can. Can so, yeah, I don't know who Can was, are either, but Can, I think are they a German band? They're a German band, yeah. Yeah, there's lots of German bands represented in this. Yeah, so guitars and drums uh, for a number of tracks on in the garden were, you know, guitarist and drummer from Can. They're a German experimental rock band. Uh, they're from mm-hmm. Cologne, so maybe maybe they were friends of Connie Plank. I did have a look, and I couldn't see that Connie Plank had ever produced anything by Can. They self-produce everything. But maybe okay. they were just knew each other and their friends, and and he thought, oh, we've got to get these guys in because they'll they'll do a good job. Yeah, so I can only assume that was a suggestion by by him. It's an interesting album. It's, yeah, it's not what I would say is is essential year of mix unless you're interested in their history. Yeah, I think. yeah. I think if someone's yeah, if you're trying to get into the sound of Eurythmics, this isn't the album for you because it's not really the sound of Eurythmics. Mm. Um, yeah, but it is a good sound, I think. And also, it's very different from the from the tourists. Yeah, well, definitely for Dave as well. I mean, Dave was very restricted in the tourists. I think that yeah. he, he wanted more. He wanted to do more. He wanted to be more, and he was restricted yeah. to just playing guitar. Um, and he's yeah. been that. I, I guess that's why within the garden he's just gone. He's gone sort of batshit crazy and just just played everything. <laughs> Yeah, woo! Just imagine him running around the studio. Oh, I'll do this bit. Oh, I'll do this bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just bashing sandwiches together, <laughs> playing the spoon music. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I think that what I've said about Dave Stewart there, I think it goes for both of them. Don't you think that they both felt a bit restricted, or a lot restricted, and felt they needed to more creativity and, and more freedom, and that's what. Yeah, they're very creative people, and. um I guess in the album that followed that, Sweet Dreams, uh, they did some very creative things to, you know, compensate for their lack of equipment and budget. <laughs> mm. You know, like like finding finding a random piano below them and just linking up loads and loads of wires up to it, 
Um, oh, that sounds good. I didn't know that. Yeah, that it was it was just by chance because they were they recorded Sweet Dreams in a I think it was a, a, a picture framing factory or something. Well, they recorded and in the, two. They recorded it in two places. They recorded it there, but they also recorded it in the church. Yeah, the church is was like their studio, wasn't it? Yeah, but, but there was there happened to be a piano in the floor below them, and they they made a huge sound chain with lots and lots of wires going down to it, and they played that. Oh, and wow. they also they also managed to to do white noise on purpose by hitting hitting things in a certain way because the, the microphones didn't really deal with it well. It caused a lot of white noise and then they took that white noise and made it into music. Oh, wow. For some of their tracks, yeah. It's cool, yeah. It's very creative. Yeah, the church <laughs> is cool. So the church was um, was a room above a church. Well, if we go back to the beginning, I mean, the church was a church. It was built in, in 1850 as a church. And then in 1980... As a church. As a church, yeah. Um <laughs> and then in 1980, it was it was bought by a couple of chaps, and they turned it into. Uh, I think they split it into. Uh, they kept half of it as a church and half of it as a creative space, whatever that is. I think I think the guys that bought it they weren't musicians; they were artists or something. So they used okay. it as, a, as an art studio. And then in in 84, Dave Stewart bought it, but actually they moved into the space. I think I think Annie mm. and Dave moved into the space a couple of years before, and set it up as a recording studio uh, and started mm. recording there. And then, yeah. and then they eventually bought it, and, and Dave held ownership of it for, uh, oh, I don't know when, but he eventually sold it to David Gray. Oh, right. Okay, interesting fellow. And, and I think now it's owned by uh, the producer of Adele, so he's been through a few, okay. a few famous hands. Historical place. Mm. Yeah, he, um, Stuart said in an interview that it was previously owned by the Agapemonites, who were a uh, Christian sect. They were like the original hippies. All about oh, right. free love and things like that. I wonder if that's uh, Bob and John who bought it in 1980, or if it's prior to Bob and John. Maybe Bob and John are the Agapemonites. <laughs> Agap- Agap- Agapemonites. That's what I said. <laughs> of course. Um, just, just one last last little bit about, um, maybe it's not a little bit, maybe it's going to end up being a long bit, about guest musicians, collaborations, since we talked about Can on uh, oh, yeah. In the Garden and Clem yeah. um, Burke. So be yourself tonight is where they, where they really kind of pushed the guest list to another level, didn't they? Yes. With yeah. Aretha Franklin, Stevie Wonder, Elvis Costello, um, Mike Campbell from Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Yeah. All really complimentary stuff, though. It wasn't. It didn't. It didn't take the mick. I don't think. No, Sometimes when yeah. people do that, it's just it's overboard and they're just doing it to sell. But actually, I think it was all complimentary. Yeah, and they recorded the album in just a week. Oh, did they? What be yourself yeah. tonight? Yeah, that's very incredible. impressive. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, some really good stuff. And uh, apparently, Aretha Franklin is cited in the credits as super vocals. Oh, really? <laughs> Not just vocals, super vocals. Well, it's true, isn't it? Yeah, and she was originally her part was originally going to be given to Tina Turner. Okay, that would also have in, worked. Uh, that would definitely also have worked. Are, sisters think. are doing, doing it, for it for themselves. themselves. I, I, I would like to have heard that just yeah. out of curiosity. Yeah, I think that would have worked nicely with Tina Turner. Mm-hmm. But it's great yeah. with Aretha Franklin. Stevie Wonder's yeah. harmonica on There Must Be an Angel. Um, yeah, it's 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 so it's so iconic, you know. It's and, so and, iconic, yeah. And and even even before you know that it's Stevie Wonder, you can you can hear that it's him. Oh, definitely. He's got such a recognisable way of playing harmonica. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I really like the fact that they had Stevie Wonder in for harmonica and not for vocals. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it would be so, oh, I don't know. It was just it was just a smart move, I think, to have him feature for the harmonica, and it's just subtle and... Um, it works, doesn't it? It works really, really well, yeah. All right, you got that correct, didn't you? You got two points. Yeah, I did. Hey. You were killing it. So, question three. What year did Annie Lennox famously perform at the Grammys as a male alter ego? Oh, oh goodness. Uh, this, oh. Right, so I know that she was the male alter ego for the Who's That Girl video. She was, yeah. And I think that was the persona that she came on the stage with. So I'm going to say 80... It's definitely in the 80s. <laughs> it's definitely in the 80s, yeah. <laughs> uh, 80... 83. Oh, no. 84. My year out, 84. Yeah, it's 84. 84 damn it. Oh. Early 1984. That was like February, March 1984. Can I, can I get a, a one-year-out T-shirt like they do on Popmaster and Radio 2? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that reference, but I like it. <laughs> you can, yeah. Yeah, it was 1984. But interestingly, she didn't. She wasn't singing um, "Who's That Girl?" But yeah, it is kind of it, the, the character she played on stage at the Grammys does look slightly different to the guy in the "Who's That Girl?" video. So I don't know if it's the same character she's putting on. She, I think she's just doing it. She kind of looks. Like, have you seen it? The video? Mm, no, the uh, the performance at the Grammys. Oh no, I haven't actually. No. Oh, no. it's it's in, it's very strange, and I'm not the only person to have said that. You know, you're googling around. It, a lot of people on forums and discussion boards that they say about when they first saw it in the 80s and they were big mm. Eurythmics fans and then they saw this performance and they were just left confused and they didn't know what had yeah. happened and they thought, is she a man now or what's happening? Yeah, it was not shocking. It was not received well. Yeah, some people thought she was a transvestite or, or, a, or a transsexual. Yeah, because it's, it, it's an odd... Uh, yeah, have a, watch it, definitely watch it. She looks like Elvis. It's not done in a tongue-in-cheek way. She doesn't, she doesn't look like, isn't this fun and quirky? She looks yeah. like, I'm, I'm now trying to be a man. There's no, yeah. it's just, there's no context given to it. It's just a man comes out on stage and starts singing. And she looks like yeah. a man. I mean, the stubble is not fantastic. Oh, no, sorry, she doesn't have stubble in this one. She has sideburns. So the stubble all right. was all drawn on for the Who's That Girl video, which looked yeah. rubbish. She's, she's dropped the stubble now. She has full sideburns, no makeup at all. So, I mean, it's, it's just Ooh. disorientating. Right, okay. I'll have to check it out then. She gets quite angry that people didn't get it. Apparently there was very little applause after the performance because people were just <laughs> confused. They didn't know what yeah. happened. Um, so, they, yeah. so they played a canned applause and then that really angered her. And she, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, like this, for, for the cameras, they, they played a canned applause and that really angered her. So she can apparently be heard, whether it's on the recording or whether it was just heard live, but she can yeah. be heard um, yelling at the at the sound guy. She says, wow. um, she says, apparently she says, we're fucking professionals. Why can't you be? Wow. Um, Amazing. Yeah. Again, it's it's one of those things that, like the album covers, I feel, uh, I don't know. She, she, she does talk a lot about, and especially about this particular performance, she says one of the reasons that she did it was, A, she says it was a bit of fun. Why can't people just mm. get it that it was a bit of fun? But also she says I, she was making a subtle point about she is as good a performer as any man and equal to any man. That's not a subtle point, Annie. You, no, you didn't make a subtle not. point here. You made a very in-your-face point yeah but um, I, I guess 
I would have. I mean, I wasn't around in the eighties, like uh, you know, as someone who who understood things like that. You know, <laughs> I was mm. very young, um, but sh surely people would have seen that she already that she she can do do just as well as a man because Absolutely. it was a double yeah. act. It was a, it was a it was a duo, and it's it's very clear that she's a prominent um, artist. Who, yeah. who knows what she's doing so wh why make the point but maybe maybe in the context maybe the in those kind of communities around around music it had to be made in that way i don't know yeah i mean i don't want to speculate too much because i just don't know what was going on or or you know their relationship but maybe she you know dave is a prolific musician and he was rarely just working on one thing, you know. Throughout mm. throughout the Eurythmics career, he um, he was dabbling with all sorts of different projects. Yeah. Um, and as soon as he made a name for himself, he was producing other other people's work as well as, as performing yeah. with the Eurythmics. Yeah. And maybe that was um, no. Uh, again, I don't want, I don't want to speculate too much, but maybe that was threatening to her, and she she felt she needed to. Yeah. Oh, I um. I just I just found something about it. Uh, the the male persona is called Earl. Oh right. And when she was on the Letterman show, I actually watched this interview. It's 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 quite awkward. She talks about Earl as if it's a as if he's a real person separate from her. Interesting. So Letterman's asking her about Earl, and she's saying, "Yeah, he does this. He does that. You know, he's a friend." And Letterman's totally confused. Like he doesn't know what to say. He's totally oh, out of his I'm depth. Gonna see, I'm gonna have a look at that that, uh, that interview. That um, sounds good. And then later on, she says, "People said I was a transvestite, so I thought I'd give the people what they wanted." Mm. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's a strange one because also the the Sweet Dreams album, uh, the Sweet Dreams video, shocked a lot of people as well. And just yeah. her get up, and her yeah. clothes and her hair. Yeah, she's she she she's very confusing. A very confusing character to understand. I, I find, I, the, you know, the more interviews I read by her. And performances I see by her, I understand her less. She mm. either she doesn't know herself that well, or she's just taken us all for a ride. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, like an, another subject. So there's this, there's that whole subject of her, uh, you know, performing as a man and you know wanting to be seen as an equal and, and all that. But then there's there's also uh, there's a lot of discussion in interviews with her as well about her being a gay icon because she mm, has been yeah. embraced by the gay community. Yeah, um, you know, from from the get go, really, and yeah. I've seen her in a few interviews say, "Well, that's not my choice. I didn't ask for that. I just want people to listen to my music. I don't care whether they're gay or straight." Mm -hmm. um, but again, I feel that she's pulling the wool over her eyes a little bit because I do think that she has. I mean, she she puts a lot of time and effort into certain. She she picks and chooses her causes, right? And yeah. she campaigns a lot for HIV, AIDS, women's rights, yeah. feminism, yeah. gender equality. Those mm -hmm. are her her domains mm -hmm. so i do feel like we you know you're kind of picking subjects subject matter that does appeal to a certain demographic i don't know if she's being truly honest with us or she just doesn't want to talk about certain things and she chooses to not discuss certain things yeah it's it's, a, it's an interesting one maybe it's just to make people talk and say who's this band who's this girl what, what are they doing mm. and it's it's promotion isn't it? isn't it it's a bit like kenya west not in a not in every sense of the <laughs> mm. of the comparison but you know what i mean it's, it's promotion yeah I guess it's getting so. people talking she says here this is, this is a quote she says being a gay icon was a little baffling to me i was just expressing who i was and my sexual orientation has always been towards men 
I have no mm. objection to it. I thought it was kind of interesting that I was claimed by gay people as one of their own. I don't care mm. about your sexual orientation. That's a personal matter, which has nothing to do with me. Yeah, but that's maybe that's just saying that she she accepts everybody. Mm. Maybe she she started expressing herself in this way, and then over time she stroke you know she she lit a spark with the gay community and then that led her to to focus on the on the charity work yeah and you know you know activism that's that's around causes that help them so maybe it's maybe she's been on a journey as well maybe she she's been discovering her who she is she first got involved in campaigning for hiv uh, and aids awareness in 2003 during the 46664 campaign in South Africa. Do you know about that? Oh, yeah. That was Nelson Mandela's prison number, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, yeah. So and then, they... then they turned it into a phone number you could call, and it was a way to listen to music that artists had That's recorded, great. especially for this cause. The money that was spent on calling this number went to charities. That's right, except they didn't turn it into a phone number. Dave Stewart turned it into a phone number. Ah. Yeah. So he worked with, um, in 2002, he worked with Nelson Mandela and came up with the idea of turning his prison number into a telephone number. Mm-hmm. And then he, he cut, then he spoke to a bunch of famous musicians to record songs. People like Paul McCartney, Bono, um, Paul and Oates. Uh, and they recorded songs that could only be heard if you dialed that number. And whilst you were listening to that, it was like a premium rate number. So it was, it was costing you and that money was going to the charity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool idea. Can you? Do you think you can still call it now? Four six six. You can give it a shot. <laughs> I'm going to give it a shot now. <laughs> You've got to use a South African uh, area code. Yeah. Oh god, it's going to charge me loads of money. Yeah. I'm going to call it now and see what happens. Oh, it's not recognised. That's a shame. Well, at least we know. <laughs> you don't know until you try. All right. So you didn't get that, did you? I was one year out. One year out. Okay. Well, you beat you beat the verb anyway. Question four: What Smiths cover was included on CD two of the two thousand and five remastered edition of We Two Are One? Oh God! Oh, I've got oh I've got no idea. Mm. I'm I'm just gonna say a Smith song. Okay. I don't know. Go on. Put me out of misery. Last night I dreamt that somebody loved me. Oh yes, yes. I know it sounds a bit obscure, the question, but the fact that they didn't do loads of covers, so I thought, um, even though it was on a on a remastered edition, I thought I'd give that a shot, and, and it's a really good cover. Hmm. It's From my perspective, yeah. it's way more listenable than the original, but that's just me. I'm not a big Smiths fan. Um, I can't stand the Smiths, to be honest. Yeah, the, the original <laughs> I, I, is, is super dreary and depressing, yeah. and then Annie Lennox's version, or sorry, Eurythmics version, Annie Lennox's voice picks it right up, and it's a really powerful performance from her, which yeah. you know is it's not from Morrissey. No, oh, that's well, that's good. I'll have to check that out. Mm. I much prefer Lennox's voice to Morrissey's voice. Oh, definitely, yeah. And and her as a person, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, but you know, Smiths is is one of those bands that they have some good songs, and I like a lot of people's covers of their songs. I just tend not to like the originals. So it's not like them to do a cover, but uh, it wasn't on the original release. Um, but on a few of those remastered versions where they released a second CD, they have a few different a few different covers. Yeah, I don't think they did any other covers, did they, or any obvious well, covers? Sweet, Sweet Dreams, the album Sweet Dreams, track three is Wrap It Up by Sam and Dave. Ah, uh, yes. Isaac, Isaac yes. Hayes' song, yeah. 
Eurythmics yeah. version is good, but um, yeah, it's Sam and Dave. I mean, they kill it. Oh yeah, Sam and no Dave comparison. Wicked. Yeah, originally it was actually a B side um, in 1968 by Sam and Dave. Uh, but oh, right. as far as B-sides go, it was really well received and critics always said they should have released it um, as a single. Yeah, I'll put that one out. Um, what else did they cover? 2005 remastered edition of Savage. So again, this is one of those second CDs of, of their remastered versions. They covered Come Together. Yeah, I heard that actually. Yeah, I like that. But let's be clear. I mean, who hasn't covered Come Together? Um, well, lots well, of people. But <laughs> to be honest, I... <laughs> A lot of people. I, 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 to be honest, I only know the Michael Jackson cover of it. <laughs> Which is good. Michael Jackson did so a great version that. of it. I yeah. like it. Yeah. I like it. Aerosmith you... did a great version of it as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, Steven okay. Tyler singing Come Together is great. Like the, the kind of lyrics that are in Come Together just sound good coming out of Steven Tyler's mouth. Yeah, I can imagine it. Yeah. I was going to say that Annie Lennox did a lot of covers. She did a covers album, Medusa. She's done three covers um, albums. Three covers albums. Yeah, Medusa, Nostalgia, and Christmas Cornucopia. Does Christmas Cornucopia count as a covers album? Um, does she get the writing credits for it? Yeah, but it's... Well, she's covering... Okay, she's covering Christmas carols. I think that counts as a cover. If you're not writing original music, then it's covers. Oh, Little Town of Bethlehem. <laughs> That's a cover. <laughs> <laughs> the First Noel. <laughs> the Coventry Carol. Okay, yeah, fine, it's a covers album. Yeah, it's a covers album. Nostalgia. nostalgia, oh yeah, Nostalgia, of course, Nostalgia. Um, but I, I grew up listening to Medusa quite a lot. Really? As a kid. Yeah, so Take Me to the River, it's, it's the Al Green song, she, mm. she does that, it's, it's very cool. Oh, okay, no, I haven't and heard a, her singing that. A White Shade of Pale and Waiting in Vain by Bob Marley. Well, White Shade of Pale, maybe, because uh, I did see her saying in an interview, the question was, what was the first uh, record that you ever bought? And she said it was Procol Harum. I don't know what by Procol Harum, but I'm guessing maybe it was White Shade of Pale since... Ah, well, yeah, there you go. That makes sense. And then she did a <laughs> Keep Young and Beautiful track on Diva album. And it's it's all very old-fashioned, like 1920s crackly record sound, you know, and, and plinky-plonky, honky-tonk piano and yeah she sounds sounds like she's having a good time yeah she does she's i mean i I read an interview with her about christmas cornucopia for example um and she was like really passionate about it saying that oh these are the songs from my childhood and you know i really it felt so good to be in the studio singing these songs and it made her really happy yeah interesting interesting because as as a group eurythmics i feel you know in my mind they're so so creative they're so just like you know just oozing creativity and ideas and um and then in her solo career not to say that she hasn't been creative but to have have spent a lot of time just covering other people's stuff not writing her own stuff it's just yeah but that makes her happy and that's you know it's great but it's interesting that 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 makes her happy yeah but she's got a very distinct style as well isn't she and and diva's got great songs in it has it really? Yeah, really I have. I must say, throughout this, I haven't listened to her solo stuff at all. I've only been listening to Eurythmics. Yeah, but may, may, again, maybe it's maybe I'm just saying that because it's it's so nostalgic for me. Right. Yeah. And like I, I listened to it a hundred times as a kid because it was just always on. It's 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 really good anthems on it. She has a beautiful voice, as you know. Mm. Very personal lyrics. Also, on the front cover of Diva, um, you know what she's she's wearing a headdress that was used in the James Bond film Octopussy. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. It was, like, it was like the worst Bond film. 
she did a album of music for Bram Stoker's Dracula movie. Oh right, oh, I completely missed that as well. Francis Ford Coppola movie. She did she did the soundtrack, and there is a, a single love song for a vampire. That was that was the big single. Is it good? I haven't actually listened to the whole soundtrack, but I love the film, so maybe I should give it a go. But we were talking about covers, and I've completely got distracted, so <laughs> let's go back. I don't have many more covers. The only other cover I had was um, Hello, I Love You by The Doors, which, again, mm-hmm. was a, a demo included on the, the re-release of Be Yourself Tonight. And that's it for covers, yeah. really. I mean, I mean, there's oh, also, loads of other covers, but those are the ones that I've, I've pointed out. Oh, I guess we could, we could mention um, The Taurus. They did I Only Want to Be With You. That was a Dusty Springfield song. Well, that's it. I think we've exhausted, exhausted covers then. Yeah, <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> yeah, move on to your final point, Ryan, because you've you've only got two points. You need to get three. So is this see. is this question four or question? It's question five. Oh, question five. Oh no. What was the name of the nineteen eighty nine World Tour? A nineteen eighty nine World Tour. For we two was that for we two r one? We two r one came out that year. Yeah, yeah. I have absolutely. Oh mm, no, I have absolutely no idea. I'm defeated. It was called the World Revival Tour. Ooh. Named after Revival, which is, uh, I think it was a single off uh, We 2 R 1. It was certainly a track on We 2 R 1. I think it was released as a single. Oh, right. There you go. Darn it. The album, that album was released in September um, and was recorded between August 88 and May 89. And it was the last of their, their nine year run. Well, nine year or eight year? Eight year run. I think it was nine year. Nine year run. Um, one one very quick point because it will bring me on to another point um, and I'll, I'll make it a really quick point because I feel that it's a subject that I haven't read enough about this subject so I don't have enough information to give any opinions on it and because it is a sensitive subject we'll make it a quick point but mm. um, so December 88 uh, Annie Lennox uh, gave birth to stillbirth to son Daniel mm. I don't know much more about the subject because I haven't read about it much in interviews. She's not talked about it much in interviews. I guess big fans that have read biographies or whatever maybe know more about it. But I think it brings me on to an interesting point that it was just completely nonstop for them. You know, to have had that that awful experience in December 88, mm-hmm. right in the middle of recording We To Our One. So, I mean, yeah. they started recording that in August 88. So she must have been pregnant throughout the recording of that. Right. Um, and yeah, it was just it was just absolutely nonstop. They didn't massively tour the release of, of that album. Yeah, it, it was just really nonstop. Dave Stewart was 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 producing a number of different albums as well as writing and producing this. Uh, it's just no wonder that they chose after this to go. No, we need a break. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, it's it's a lot of work over. Well, they released eight studio albums in eight years. Mm. Uh, and and they're obviously touring for a lot of those. It's it's so much work. I mean, I I also find their their relationship really fascinating because they were a couple at mm. the start, and then then they they weren't, but they're they're working together so closely, and 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 a lot of their songs are about being in close proximity to uh a, you know an ex partner or you right. know missing someone. So that's interesting. I don't know. I find it, I find it really fascinating, like like how they how they work together. But I guess it's maybe that's they know that that's where their creativity comes from, or that or they you know each other 
um, they spur each other on in creativity. You know, mm. they're they're like each other's inspiration. Maybe that's maybe that's the whole thing. You know, a bit like Abba or um, Fleetwood Mac. You know, there was there was those tensions brought out a lot of a lot of their good music. Yeah, I mean, I haven't yeah. seen Dave talk that much, um, but certainly in interviews with Annie Lennox, she's she's super complimentary and um, you know in inspired by uh, Dave Stewart. Yeah. She she speaks of him speaks very highly of him. Oh yeah, it's lovely. Um, like you know the the album Savage. Yep. They did a video album, so every track had a video, and it was like a, a story, a very abstract story. And Dave appeared in a couple of them, but in one of them, like they're they're practically naked and they're like hugging lots and and it's it's all it's very intimate. It's mm. very yeah. It, I, I I just I just want to get inside their minds and see, see what's going on. You know, not in a not in a nosy stalkerish way, you know. But <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, you know. I think they were just really really close friends, and yeah, they they read that in the early years as should this be a a relationship, but mm. it it wasn't meant to be that way. It was meant to be that they're really really close friends. Yeah, uh, it's definitely the other way around for most people in that they work together for many years and then they start a relationship, whereas these guys had a relationship and then worked together for many years. Yeah, um, and then also, also I was thinking, the video for Who's That Girl. It's if you watch the video and you interpret it as an expression of of their relationship, it it gives the song a different different. Well, <laughs> it gives the song a certain slant. Right. So in the in the video, obviously Stuart's walking around with girls, and you know one of which would be his future wife, which is um, Banana Rama. Yeah, I know from Banana Rama, but I can't remember who what her name is. And Annie's watching him coming through the club with all these girls, and she's and she's seeing who's that girl, and then at the end she sees her male persona, and she goes up to, I think it's Earl. And they kiss at the end. It's mm. almost like she's making peace with herself as someone who isn't Dave's partner anymore, because yeah. it's it's hurting to see him with other people. That's how I took it's it. All this anyway. subtext that, that you've seen in a lot of their you know recordings and videos and things like that that I hadn't noticed. And maybe maybe it's in your head, but maybe it's not. Maybe yeah. Maybe, maybe you're just blowing this wide open. <laughs> yeah, um, I've I've got loads of like newspaper clippings on my walls and like pieces of string tied to them. <laughs> Putting all your energy into a completely worthless cause, <laughs> figuring yeah. out figuring out the meaning of your rhythmic songs. That's it. I will get to the yeah. bottom of this. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's that's, a... that's what I that's how I interpreted the video of Who's That Girl. Interesting. Yeah. So I was looking at um at just kind of the, the amount of work that they were doing and and why they got to. Revival, the revival tour kind of is is the is the big crescendo, isn't it? At the end of at the end of Eurythmics, because then obviously they they needed to break, they needed to stop. Um, yeah. Before they before they got to got back together again to release Peace, but um, how did they how did they get to that point? I mean, I was looking at just one year as an example. So eighty five, um, mm. Dave Stewart um, in eighty five was producing albums for a number of different big names. Um, he was recording mm. and producing uh, for the Eurythmics. Um, he was finishing up, well, he was finishing up recording Be Yourself Tonight at the beginning of 1985, which mm -hmm. he uh, also produced himself. He, he solo produced that. Um, that was at exactly the same time he was producing Aretha Franklin's Who's Zoom and Who. 
Oh, um, really? He produced that? He produced and mixed it. Oh, um, wow. And then in July, three months after releasing Be Yourself Tonight, they began recording uh, Revenge. Not even just like casually writing it. Like they went into the studio uh, three months later. Um, and that was also solely produced by Dave Stewart. Um, wow. And there were there were a number of other albums. There was a there was a Tom Petty album uh, and some other things that year that he was involved in. So I mean, it was it was just nonstop for them. So it's no wonder yeah. they, they got to that point where they said, you know, this this has to end. This has to end. Now. Yeah, he's he's a very busy guy. He is. I didn't realize how much he had done. Mm. Um, I this is this is later on, but I found that he he wrote the musical Barbarella. All right. uh, in in the early noughties do you know Barbarella it's like a, a classic sci-fi campy film um, and he also wrote the music and lyrics for Ghost the Musical oh, right wow which was which was in, in London's West End in 2011 interesting so yeah quite interesting he's just um, one of those people that I feel that Dave Stewart is one of those people that just has a brain full of ideas and he just needs to constantly be spewing stuff and yeah. needs to always be involved in something um he, yeah. he's very rarely since the start of Eurythmics he's very rarely been just involved in one project he's always had um, ideas to give elsewhere and, yeah. and to give input elsewhere yeah well that's all he's done in his whole, whole working life mm. is playing music yeah very admirable yeah he, he ran away uh, <laughs> he ran away when he was 15 and sneaked into uh, the, the, the back of a uh, of a van or like an equipment van for, for a band that played medieval music, the amazing Blondel, <laughs> he climbed in and hid under a box uh, when the ro- roadies were loading it up. And then later on, he jumped out and said, hi, I'm a stowaway. And then they called the police. <laughs> and his parents didn't get him. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't want him. Didn't so, want he him just, so he just followed and helped the band out and then played with them and, yeah, just was involved in music forever. Became a medieval minstrel. <laughs> Do you think that's the first time someone's referred to Dave Stewart as a medieval minstrel? No, I'm sure. I'm sure that's what he puts on his CV. <laughs> Do you reckon? I yeah. don't think Dave Stewart's ever written a CV. <laughs> no, no, of course not. <laughs> but I'm sure he plays like no. I think he plays the the no. He plays the dulcimer, uh, the mandolin. He he does play medieval music. Interesting. All right, two questions out of five, man. Oh, okay, not one of my best. Not one of your worst. It's half a point, half a point better than. You know, your rhythmic's half a point better than you know Verve. Yeah, you know what? I'll just take it out. The, the Verve was really just one out of five. You know, I just I kind of cheated in a way. Yeah, interesting, interesting group. And um, you know, as I say, not not someone I knew anything about really, um, other than mm. the sound of their their radio hits. Good fun and a long time coming because we spent a long time to get together for for this episode. So oh, hopefully, yeah. There's at least one person out there that still listens to this podcast. Yeah, you would have thought I'd have got five out of five with, with all that time, but no, it's just life <laughs> gets in the way. But Well, we should cut over and have a listen to Zach from Maine, see how he did. We had quite a, quite a decent response to the, the Eurythmics in the end. Um, oh, we did. we did. Yeah, we did. So uh, sorry to anyone who contacted us and we weren't able to feature them. We, we went with Zach. Uh, in the US, and and actually, I think I think all the fans that contacted us were in the US. So again, it's one of those things where you know it's a Brit like the Verve to to have you know, a British band that that obviously made a big impact to to a community over over the other side of the pond. I would say when I posted adverts out online, there were a lot of uh, responses from South America as well. 
Oh, really? Yeah, but they, they didn't go anywhere. Uh, I, I tried to follow them up and they didn't get anywhere. And and I, I have this little plan in my head that we get super fans from every continent. And I was like, oh, come on, we've got to get someone from Brazil. Come on, that would be great. Oh, that would we be can great, yeah. We can take the South America off our list. So if, if anyone's out there from Africa, Asia... Yes, we South haven't America, hit those two continents yet, Africa and Asia. Or, or Antarctica. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's someone on a boat out there and in international waters will get you as well. Yeah, what's what's that? Oh, Sealand? Well, what's that? Was that place oh, you yes, told me about? Sealand, yeah. Yeah, yeah maybe someone from Sealand listening. I'll put Sealand. I'll put Sealand in the uh, in the in the show notes. So if someone searches for it, they'll find find this podcast. Yeah, it's it's uh, we've talked about them before, but it's basically like a little nation that's got what just one family or so yeah. it's like a little a little house in the middle of the sea. Yeah, X. It's, it used to be an oil rig, I think, and oh, right, yeah. they're living on it now. And yeah, it's just one family. Good for them. <laughs> Good for them, eh? <laughs> yeah, they weren't in the Olympics, though. I was looking for their flag. I didn't see them. Oh, you're looking for their flag. What's their flag? Do you know who their flag is? I don't, I don't know. You were just you were just looking at all the flags and thinking, yeah, oh, what, I wonder Sealand, if that's from Sealand. That... Yeah. Hi, Zach. How are you? I'm well. I'm so happy to be here. We're happy to have you here. And we all know why you're here. Uh, you're here because you're crazy about the Eurythmics. So do you want to take us this back is to true. the beginning um, and tell us you know, where it all started for you? When did you first hear Eurythmics? Well, it all started for me. I was 13 years old. It was the summer of 1983 and Sweet Dreams are made of this, their signature hit and their first hit in the world really uh, was on the radio, but the radio DJ never said who they were or he'd say it very fast like that was Eurythmics, you know, and I didn't I didn't know what is that? Is that a band? Is that a woman? Is that like 10 people? It sounded like a whole bunch of people. I couldn't tell if they were black or white or what. And I didn't have MTV. So I never saw the video. And I just had to like figure out when are they going to play that song again and ever say who sings it. This is way before internet, you know, 1983. Yeah. Finally, I saw the video and I had to sneak off to friends' houses that had cable because we didn't have cable TV in my house. And I was mesmerized i saw her and i just could not believe it i think i fell in love in, immediately and i love the fact that she looked semi-male semi-female the flaming orange crew cut and those piercing eyes and the smoky makeup around the eyes and the bright red lipstick and that suit everything about it it just it just stopped me in my tracks and i'm still recovering <laughs> all these decades later I listened to Annie Lennox sing at some point of my everyday life uh, at least once a day or else I don't feel like I've had a, a fulfilled day. Wow. And uh, it, so it all started with dreams to, to answer your question, for sure. And then why, and why do you think that over the last 30 plus years then that your rhythmics have, have touched you more than any other musician? You know, I feel like we all have that band or that singer or that song or that voice that kind of ignites us through adolescence it sort of speaks to us in a way and for me you know that pivotal time when you're kind of like leaving childhood entering into teenagehood and for me that song sweet dreams by eurythmics hit just at that moment where 
everything about her voice, the production, the strangeness of the song captured me. And, um, and I then, of course, wanted to hear more. I loved the following single, Love is a Stranger. I, I, I received the Sweet Dreams on cassette as a birthday gift, and I still have it somewhere. Uh, and then came Touch, their next album, and they never let me down. Like every album they released, basically once a year they'd release an album through the 80s and every album was fresh and different and exciting and full of memorable songs and her voice kept getting stronger and bigger and better and i i saw them live and i love them even more seeing them live and the videos just kept being so alluring and creative honestly you know if this was a band that had one great album and then the next few just felt like a lot of filler i might have lost interest but they raised the bar all the time, and it just never stopped getting, uh, never stopped being interesting. So I like to ask people if, um, if you have a fun story related to your to your fandom that you can tell. Do you have any fun tales about your your love for? Them? I do, I do actually. I was. Uh, we went to see the first time I saw them live was the Revenge tour, which was 1986. And I remember I wanted to leave the house uh, to go to the concert looking like her. And I didn't know that this was going to be shocking to anybody, but I, I painted this red band across my eyes and I did mascara and some black uh, in my eyebrows and black around my eyes. And I cut my hair real short and I thought, this is so cool. I look amazing. I look just like Annie Lennox. I'm so cool. And I had white, white skin. Um, and my neighbor, who was a policeman, saw me leaving the house, and he went up to my mother and he said, uh, if that's the worst thing that Zach ever does, that's okay. Um, but it is really uh, a terrible thing how that Annie Lennox is such a bad influence on this generation. Uh, I, and I really am worried about him because in, to, to leave the house with makeup on and going to a concert like that is, is really, really, you know, disturbing. I was, I was so shocked by his intense reaction. And he told this to my mother who told this to me. He never said this to me. And, uh, you know, some people are very conservative and I just was having fun. Yeah. I wasn't trying to be, you know, a woman or, or you know, I wasn't trying to you know, show like I might want to have a sex change or something. Uh, I, I just was having fun thinking this is this is in the spirit of Annie Lennox. And I have to do this for her because I'm going to this concert. It was like a pilgrimage, you know, yeah. and it was such a thrill. And I also wrote Annie Lennox a fan letter as a teenager saying, um, I know you're coming to my town in concert. Please stay at my house. I know you like makeup, and my mother has makeup in her bathroom. You can stay in our guest bedroom. We live in an English tutor, and I know that you're from, you know, the British Isles, so you might like that. And I think that um, we'll be really good friends. I just want to walk with you like lovers do and talk to you like lovers do. You know, I wrote this letter to her, and I never got a response. In fact, I don't even know that it got to her. Who knows? It was sent to, like, you know, the, the fan mailing address on the album that they give you. So I have been a super fan from the first listen of that first hit. Yeah. Wow. I re that, that, that policeman, though, bless him, mate, he's not, he's not going to be surviving in 2021, is he? I know. And, I, and actually, once my mother told me that, I was so embarrassed. I went, oh, my gosh. 
really what I was doing was like outrageous. I, I wasn't even thinking it would be outrageous. Well, Zach, I'm sure you're aware you're here to, to prove yourself. There's only room on the podcast for one Eurythmic superfan. So I'm going to ask you five questions, each worth one point. No half points here, my friend. Okay. Five points. You can walk away with your head held high, safe in the knowledge that you are the super fan and that you're recognized for your love of Eurythmics. Zero oh boy, points. okay. And the world is going to know that you're a fraud. So question one. Who painted the cover art for Revenge? Ooh, um, okay, I should know this, uh, and I don't know that I do know this, but I do, I, uh, no, no, I know, it's going to be a zero point on this one, but I do know that the original cover art is hanging in Dave Stewart's house. <laughs> I, I saw a photo of a, of a wall in his house where it's hanging, it's a very large painting. It is, in yeah, fact, the painting has, yeah, the painting has much more detail in it than the cover, mm. Um, it's much larger and actually pretty darn cool, the whole painting. They cropped it for the cover. Um, but I, I, I wish I knew. I'm an artist. I'm a painter. I should know this, but I don't know the answer. I'm so sorry, fans. Oh, my God. The guy's name is Eric Scott. Okay. Hello from America, where I live, uh, wherever you are. Thank you for your art. I think I could be wrong, and I hope I'm... I hope I'm not wrong because it's very offensive if I am, but I think he might have passed away. I don't know if he's still around. Oh, really? Oh. But yeah. Well, he left, he, le he left a mark. Yeah, I really like it. I really like that album cover. I think it's one of the best. It's a very... I love how her eyes are like a cat eye. Yeah, it took me ages to realize that. I didn't notice that for a long, long time. <laughs> I mean, she always, to me, in that, in that painting looked very alien. Mm. And he looks, I mean, it's very photorealistic of him. It is. And, and of her, too. But she always looked like she was radiating this alien glow in that, on that cover. What's your, Brilliant. What's your favorite album cover from, from uh, Eurythmics <gasps> or Annie Lennox or Dave Stewart? Ooh, that's hard. Well, I will say that they've always had a great eye for design. Um, there is not an album cover where I go, oh, God, that one. Um, they're all really well done, beautiful. I will say that the Touch album cover, I think you can see from space. I mean, it is so striking. Everything about it. I think if you're on the moon looking down on Earth in a telescope, you'll see the Touch album cover. <laughs> um, and you'll see the Great Wall of China, too. I, I think uh, that one, if you put them all together, is the one that jumps out at you. But I love the the uh, kind of the look and colors of Be Yourself Tonight. I love the cool, sleek, cold design of Sweet Dreams. I think In the Garden looks like a wild, weird, psychedelic drug party. Um, the 1984 album is super somber with the umber browns. It, it, it completely evokes the music. The one album cover that I never quite totally understood is Peace, which uh, was 1999 where it's her back to us well, and that's one of my questions then because i wasn't sure if that was definitely her or not oh it is her it is her and i love the photo but i i'm always like i want to see your face mm. i love the back of your head of course but um anyway uh i, I think the album would have sold even more if, if we had seen her face instead of the back of her head it's an odd choice it's the only eurythmics album cover that doesn't have annie lennox's face on it it is yeah you're right well, it I is aside from 1984 yeah, yeah but yeah no i think we two are one is a gorgeous cover the way that they kind of oversaturated the whites is mm. striking incredible 
Oh, well, I'm sorry to start the start the questions with with a tough one. Well, let's hope maybe it gets easier. Yeah, let's hope. And and four out of five is still is still very good. Well, we'll oh, see. thank God. We'll see. Okay. So, question two: Who played drums on five of the ten tracks on In the Garden? Clem Burke from Blondie. Straight there. No. Oh my God! It's such a thrill that Clem Burke from Blondie. Blondie's another one of my favorite bands. Um, played with Eurythmics, and I believe he may have even played on Revenge a bit. Okay. I didn't um, yeah, yeah. It's such a cool thing. I actually think Eurythmics and Blondie are, are kindred in a lot of ways. You know, you've got the kind of flashy female and then the man who hangs in the back creating yeah. all this music. In fact, Annie Lennox remade I'm Always Touched by Your Presence, Dear, which was a Blondie hit on uh it was a b-side on medusa do you know any other interesting guest musicians that i might not have known about featuring in any eurythmic songs yeah sure uh the charlie wilson from the gap band um which you might remember saying you dropped the bomb on me and mm -hmm. they had some soul hits in the 80s he uh sang on different tracks on we two are one yeah, of course, you know, Eurythmics sang with Aretha Franklin on Sisters Are Doing It yes. For Themselves. Yeah. Uh, Stevie Wonder on There Must Be an Angel played harmonica. Um, Elvis Costello had a duet with Annie Lennox on a track called Adrian from Be Yourself Tonight. Uh, oh, I mean, they've, they've played with such a, a great array of musicians, but as yeah. far as household names, those are a few. Yeah, I, I would say, what's your favorite collaboration? But I don't think you're going to have a favorite, are you? I think there's going to be too many. <laughs> You know, it's really hard. I, I'm just so satisfied with Annie Lennox and Dave Stewart. I mean, the two of them, I, I used to have dreams. I still do sometimes that I'm the third Eurythmic and <laughs> that they've enlisted me in and I'm kind of helping them figure out the album art and the track listings and I sing with her, you know, in the background of the background. So I'm their, I'm their favorite collaborator. It's yet to happen, but it's going to <laughs> All right, so we're back in the game. One, one, okay. Two. Okay. Question three. What year did Annie Lennox famously perform at the Grammys as a male alter ego? Oh, that was brilliant. Okay, so she performed. It was, I watched it live. It was, um, I want to say March 1984, maybe February 1984. It was in those early months of 84. Yeah. Um, but it was the 83 Grammy Awards, you know what I mean? Like they were honoring all the music of 83, right. uh, yeah, but it was I've early 84. 1984, so. Oh, I'm so good. And you saw it live, so that's, that's, an, that's if bonus points existed, you'd get it. Do you want to know something? Not only did I see it live, I had a, I had a tape recorder, like an old fashioned tape recorder, and I pressed play and record with, when the Grammys were going. I still have the tapes, oh, I must wow. be in a box somewhere. And I was so shocked I didn't know, you know, I was 13 at the time. I didn't know that that was her. And I was yeah. wondering what was going on. And my mother, I remember her saying, are you still in love with her? Look, she's a man now. And I was so confused, but excited, but worried and nervous and <laughs> all the emotions. And I was captivated at the same time because she looked so darn cool. But I thought, how could that be her? She'd go out like that. It's, yeah, it's a very strange performance without any context, without like... Especially in 1983, yeah. to just walk on stage like that without any warning, without any like, ooh, wonder what she's going to look like. Mm. 
you know, and, and then all of a sudden that, and everyone's just like, wait, what? Uh, very, very cool. And years later, Lady Gaga copied that, and, yeah. it, you know, it was, it was definitely a cool thing. Thank you for that, Annie Lennox. And Lady Gaga did the same thing. It's a different time now. It's a very different time, and it, it, it doesn't have the same impact or shock factor that it had in 1984. I agree. Uh, nailing it. Oh, good. So I've got two right now. You got two right, yeah. Okay. Oh, thank God. Question four. Okay. Uh, a bit of a mouthful, question four. So uh, let me get through it. What Smith's cover was included on CD2 of the 2005 remastered edition of We Two Are One? I love this remake. Oh. It's the song Last Night I Dreamt That Somebody Loved Me. It. And it is from Strange Ways Here We Come, the Smith's final studio album. And it is, you know, the way Morrissey sings it in the Smiths and the way it's produced is so dramatic mm. and harrowing almost. I mean, it's so emotionally uh, gut-wrenching and raw and beautiful and has this amazing intro. Eurythmics, I believe, is actually a demo. Um, it was meant for uh, an album that they were going to create um, or even a, maybe it was a movie project that they were involved with George Harrison, I heard at one point, create this movie project of covers. Um, and they were doing all these different covers, which never saw the light of day until those reissues. Of, of all the covers, I'm not a big fan of, the, of their covers on these albums, probably because they're demos, you know, so they're rough. But that one, Last Night I Dreamt That Somebody Loved Me, is so satisfying it, it's it's not like smith's version which is much slower it's got a uh if for fans of savage which is their 1987 album which was heavily electronic it has a savage-ish vibe to it and i love it i love it i love the minimalism i love her voice i think she's got her greatest voice in that uh, so for anybody interested, it is downloadable. It's out there somewhere on on YouTube or wherever. Find Last Night I Dreamt That Somebody Loved Me by Eurythmics. And yeah. it's it's beautiful. Yeah, you can hear it on YouTube. And um, yeah, I agree. It's, it's uh, see, I'm not a big Smiths fan. Uh, one You're those, not? No, they're, they're one of those bands that I like a lot of people's covers of their songs. But then when I go back and hear the Smiths do it, I kind of, it's... It's a bit dreary sometimes, and this is a great example in that, I mean, you've said some very nice things about it, but actually I think the Smiths version is incredibly bleak. Oh, uh, it's super bleak. I was drawn to the bleakness of it, though. Right. Uh, yeah. But the Eurythmics version is not, and um, and I really like yeah. Um, yeah, I really like the, the power and strength that, that, that Annie Lennox puts into it. It's, it's oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It sounds like she's singing her heart out. Yeah. It's beautiful. Do you have any other favorite covers that they've done? I know that, you know, certainly Annie Lennox has done a whole host of covers. Oh, she has. You know, Eurythmics actually, aside from these uh, demos that popped up on the reissues, they didn't do a whole lot of covers. Um, their albums were almost all originals, but Wrap It Up shows up on the Sweet Dreams album, which is a lot of fun. Uh, which has been covered many times since the 60s. Um, and that's a, that's a duet with Green, Guardside, from Scritti Politti. That's on the Sweet Dreams album. It's it's kind of a, a, a funky little up-tempo number. I'd be very happy at some point if Eurythmics were to reform and put out new music and, and we got a few covers in there because they have done covers live. They did a great version of David Bowie's... Um, 
uh, Life on Mars right. uh, live. It's on YouTube. You can find it. They did a wonderful version of The Fool on the Hill by the Beatles um, for a TV special not long ago, like maybe six years ago. All right. You, uh, you pulled it all together after question one. Like a, maybe we should go back and redo question one. <laughs> okay, give me, a, give me another one. So question five. Okay. There's, there's no doubt you got this now. This, this is, we're ending on an easy one. What was the name of the 1989 World Tour? Oh, the 1989 World Tour was uh, Revival? Yes. And Revival is not one of my favorite Eurythmic songs, uh, but it has a place in my heart, <laughs> uh, as they all do. Um, but at the time, oh my, I saw that tour twice, by the way, both times in New York City, oh. and I was, I was electrified by it. I mean, honestly, I was so, it was such a dazzling, thrilling show to see live. I, I just, uh, I highly recommend anybody, if they, that you ever get a chance to see Eurythmics or Annie Lennox live or Dave Stewart, go. Because they put on a show. Mm. And, and uh, they're dynamic. Do you know why they, why they named the tour after Revival? Yeah, I think, you know, Revival was the first single, I believe, that was issued uh, to radio. And because of the theme of revival, you know, like um, kind of reviving yourself and, you know, there's a vibrance to it. There's a vibrance to the song, uh, pick yourself up. And it's it's got this kind of oomph. So I think it just felt right that they were going to call their tour that. Yeah. Uh, it was very soulful. Eurythmics for being this ex electronic group you know, they were rooted earlier in electronic music, were always very soulful. It's, it's exciting to me. I mean, I think of Yazoo, you know, Alison Moyet and Vince Clark, and they uh, kind of emerged around the same time as Eurythmics early music. And they, too, were very soulful, though, you know, with all these spare electronics. So it can be done. And you Brits do it beautifully, I might, I might add. Oh, well, I can't, I can't take credit for that. I want to just say to the people out there, if all you know are Eurythmics, you know, radio hits, and I think that the younger generation probably only knows a couple of them, go out and seek out any of their albums and listen to it. You will love, that. you will have a new favorite band. Uh, you can't go wrong. Uh, their music, by the way, has changed over time. You know, what started out as very cold and minimal and kind of experimental and electronic turned very full-bodied rock soul and then uh, even adult contemporary and then their latest album, Peace, which is from 1999, is very orchestral and symphonic and uh, lush. Uh, kind of more like Annie Lennox's solo music, but there's a few rockers on there too. It's it's just a, a thrilling discography. So are, are you as big a fan now as you've ever been? Or I believe so, yes. Yeah. yeah, I do. I mean, I have to say, whether I'm doing housework or if I'm, uh, I'm a painter, so when I'm painting or whatever, making my bed, I, I put on Eurythmics. I, I click on whatever album and I just let it play. Yeah. And inevitably, I'm singing. I know all the words to all these songs. They're, these songs are my friends, okay? <laughs> Like your favorite artist songs become your best friends. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, it's been a, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Zach. 
Yeah, I'm I'm very proud to get my four out of five. Yeah, you deserve five out of five, but um, yeah, unfortunately, with only four, I can't I can't give you the label super fan. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Okay, well, I I'd be surprised if most uh, people out there can name the painter of the Revenge album cover. Um, so kudos to them if well, if they know that. Well, they, they, yeah, people should know it now, moving forward, now that I've, I've given him some, some airplay, Eric Scott. Yes, Eric, Eric Scott, you said is his name? Is, yeah, because it is a great piece. It's a really good piece, I think. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much, Zach. I really you are it. so welcome, and thank you so much. I'm honored to be your guest on this show. So there he is, Zach. Definitely a super fan. He, he calls himself the, the third member of Eurythmics. He's great, isn't he? Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I hope he gets like a like a talk show. Someday. He deserves. He definitely deserves a talk show. He's definitely got the the personality and the voice that could that could do something like that. Yeah. Um, could yeah. Talk, talk to him forever. Oh yeah, I could listen to him all day. Yeah. So thanks, <laughs> Brilliant. Zach. And Thank sorry you, that sorry for my question one. If it uh, um, if it stole the label Superfan from you, you deserved it. But unfortunately, we can't can't just go dishing it out to everyone. You know. <laughs> In in my heart, I've given it to him. Even though I'm not the quiz master, so... <laughs> yeah, it would have looked better if you'd have got that question wrong, but unfortunately you got it right, which which makes it look like, oh, well, there was potential there to get it right, wasn't there? Yeah, but it's just because I, I know you, and I know that you're, you're obsessed with album covers. So yeah. I, I learnt my lesson. There are certain certain places that I always go with, with the questions. Album covers is always an easy one. One that I often do is um, support acts from touring. Yes. But I didn't find much. Um... Uh, I found that they, I'm not sure if they supported him, but they were on stage with the same concert as Bob Dylan. They toured with Bob Dylan. Well, they did a couple of gigs anyway. And they also did some shows with Elton John. But I don't know anymore because I found some tour archives and it's just, it, all it has is what people are willing to contribute to it. And that's all I could find. There's a there's a website called um, Concert Archives. All oh, right. That I use. That it's probably the same thing in that it's yeah, I think it's user generated. So yeah, if people don't don't submit the information, then it's not there. But mm. but it's pretty yeah. thorough. It's a pretty good way to find out um, tour dates yeah. and it, uh... yeah. It's it's also interesting to hear about how controversial Lennox was mm. with her with her image and I don't like the term gender bending, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. and and hearing it from Zach. As someone who experienced that mm. that reaction around people, yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's funny, it's, isn't it? That story with the policeman. Yeah, it's it's amazing how how times change because you know I never it never obviously it never shocked me as a kid because I'm younger, <laughs> I'm I'm younger than Zach. Um, you know I'm just like that's what Annie Lennox looks like and that's what she mm. does and it's there's nothing shocking about it. Yeah, and it's and it's interesting that uh, certainly online there's a lot of comparisons made to. Um, Lady Gaga did a performance uh, or two as a man, and mm, um, yeah. people say, "Oh, you know, she's copying Annie Lennox." But it's it's so different. It's so different because of where we are uh, now. You know, twenty twenty one is a very, very, very different time to to nineteen eighty four. Yeah, um, yeah, and not perceived in the same way by the public. Uh, now it's just it's just an artist expressing themselves, isn't it? Sure. And yeah, I also I also read that at the time. Lennox was compared to George. She was like a female boy George. Oh yeah, I've read that as well. Yeah, because people were like, "Oh, is boy George a, a man or a woman?" Oh, we don't know. Mm. It's all. This is what's this strange thing that he's doing? Um, and of course, he's just he's just being boy George. Yeah, people perceive boy George very, uh, very strangely. That's a, that'd be a good a good dive to do. Mm. 
Yeah, another interesting character. Well, thanks very much, Zach, for your time. Really appreciate it. And um, thank you to everyone else who um, got in touch and wanted to feature on the show. Special mention, we did have one person, I won't say their name, but you can probably you can figure it out. It'll be one of five names, probably four or five names, but somebody who had actually changed their name. Because of their... Because, because of, their... of their love with the Eurythmics. For the Eurythmics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so there are definitely some, some big super fans out there. Uh, if you want to contact us for anything... You can uh, email us on superfancastoutlook.com. Uh, you can contact us on Twitter. We are at superfancast1 on Facebook, uh, superfancast. And if you want to support us, you can do so on patreon.com slash superfancast. Please tell your friends and family uh, and anyone who you feel might be interested. Listen to prior episodes. If you've just only joined us for this one, please go back and listen to to previous episodes see if there's something there that you find interesting or a band that you haven't listened to previously yeah and if there's any artists that you want us to check out and talk about at the start of the episode then then please give us your your crazy uh crazy recommendations Mm. yeah well thank you for joining us again and we look forward to you joining us in a couple of weeks for the next deep dive we will keep it on on uh, fixed rotation now after that little break get the next one out to you very shortly and that is going to be I can't remember. I'm sorry. (laughs) We're going to do Sturgill Simpson for the next episode. Sturgill Simpson. That's right. A new genre for us. Uh, A bit of country, although he's got some other sounds as well. He's his own own sound. It should be a bit of fun. Stay safe. Keep rocking. And see you next time. Bye-bye.